Well, I want to say it is a real treat to be back uh, with you at Bethel. I've gotten to be here, and Linda and I have come a few times over the years. And now to be back, uh, we have some deep ties with your church from Heritage College and Seminary. When I arrived 10 years ago, uh, David Switzer, Dave and Nancy are a big part of the family here. David was working next door to me, and uh, he stayed on for eight years and uh, so appreciated the joy of working with him. He's, he is a consummate uh, Christian leader, and I just uh, enjoyed that really deeply. And I uh, enjoyed that. Uh, we've gotten to know now more recently Sean and Lori Goebel, who come from your, we stole them from you, so I hope you don't hold that against us. But Sean now works with us at the school, and we're delighted to have him. Students have come from your place. You've sent us some real quality folks, uh, most recently Josh and Bethany. Uh, we were at their wedding not too long ago, and Josh has uh, had him in a preaching course recently. I remember when I had Pastor Allen in a preaching course a number of years ago, and I could tell then that the Lord's hand was on him to be a communicator of his word. So it's great to be with Allen and Natalie and the family here. So greetings from Heritage to all of you. I did bring a little bit of literature. If you're interested in knowing a little bit more about how you can tap into the studies that we offer, here's one little thing. We have college, uh, that whole programs and degree for college and seminary, which is graduate degree. We also have a ministry certificate that is designed for people who probably will never go to seminary like to say, I'm going to write all the term papers, but they want that level of training. So it's a fraction of the cost. It gives you the same quality lectures, but the homework is geared to more pragmatic uh, praxis things. So if you're interested in knowing about that, get some literature. It's on the table there in the Welcome Center, or I could chat with you a little bit afterwards. I know that you are in a series this fall on the book of Acts. I listened uh, to Pastor Allen's sermon from last week as you post those online. And I, as I was thinking about what I could bring that would dovetail with that, it struck me how much I love the book of Acts on a number of levels. But one of the reasons I love the stories of the power of God on display that come out in the book of Acts. You just read the book of Acts and there are thrilling accounts of God's power breaking in and changing things. You're going to get to those as you work through the book. Uh, chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas face down the powers of darkness in this sorcerer named Eliamus, and they blind the guy. It's amazing. God's power just shows up and saves the day. Chapter 16, Paul and Barnabas get thrown in prison. You remember this? They get jailed. So they're in the jail. In the middle of the night, they're singing their praises, and God sends an earthquake, rumbles open the doors. The jailer gets saved. It's just an evidence of God's power in a mighty, mighty way. Chapter 28, near the, right at the end of the book, Paul's on the island of Malta. Remember, he's gathering firewood and a viper, a poisonous snake, latches onto his hand. He shakes it off into the fire, and everyone thinks he's gone, but he's not. He lives right through it, and it's God's power on display. So as a kid and as an adult, I've loved the stories of God's power. And that's why when I started reading one of the epistles of Paul, and he started talking about God's power in our lives, my ears perked up because I thought I could use some of that kind of power. I mean, there are times when I feel like I'm facing down some powers of darkness. There are times when I feel a bit imprisoned or snake bit in life. And at those times I'm thinking, God, I could sure use your power to show up now in the way it did in the book of Acts. 
I'd love to see some spiritual pyrotechnics when, when heaven lights things up. I'd love to see the scorch marks from where heaven intersects with earth, and we know God has been here. So I'm interested when Paul starts talking about the power of God, and then when he writes about the all-surpassing power of God on display, my ears really perk up, and I think, I need some of that. But as I looked at what Paul said in one of his letters about God's power in our lives, it wasn't what I expected. There was a big surprise. And what I read wasn't what I thought I would read, but it was what I needed to read. Today, what I want to do is to take you to a passage in the epistles where Paul talks about how God's power shows up in our lives. And I'm going to guess that it may not be what you expect. But like me, you're going to say it's what I need. And I'm hoping this will kind of be a, a sermon that kind of helps your series on the book of Acts as you see God's power on display. But I'm also hoping that today in the areas where you feel imprisoned, where you feel a bit snake bit, where you feel you're facing down powers of darkness, that you will know that God's power can show up in your life in a way that maybe you didn't expect, but a way that you needed. So to do that, I'm going to invite you to join me today in the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. And I want to talk to you today about God's power on display in our lives. I know we've prayed before. Nate prayed for us as we sang and Alan prayed. So can I just also pray that the Lord would use this time in his word in our hearts. Father, I'm so thankful to be part of this family of faith for the day. And thank you for all that you've done over the years and what you're doing now at this time in its history. Thank you for the church plant that they're a part of. Thank you for the vision they have for food to go, lunches to go, to serve their community, but to give the gospel out in every way they can. And now, Lord, as we come to this time where we seek nourishment, where we seek to listen to you through your word, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak individually as well as collectively to us today. And I pray this for the glory of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul begins to talk about the power of God. I want you to just catch it. Look, at, look with me at verse 7. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You notice there, that's where he talks about it. He said, I want to tell you about this all-surpassing power. Not just power, but all-surpassing power. So he starts to talk about the power of God, and he tells us some things about how that power of God is operational in our lives. And I want to point out some things to you. As I said, some of these things are not what I expected, but they're what I needed. The first thing I want to highlight for you comes right out of verse 7 is this, that God's power is displayed in our humanity. That Paul is going to tell us right off the bat that when God powers, God's power shows up, it shows up in jars of clay, it shows up in our humanness. Look, at, look again at verse 7. You'll see this. God's power is displayed in our humanity. He says we have this treasure. The treasure, by the way, is the life of knowing Jesus. It's the glory of knowing Jesus because verse 6, if you go back up, what he just said, he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. 
and we have this treasure. So this idea that we get to know the life of God by knowing Jesus, this glorious thing, the life of Christ. He says, we have this treasure. And then verse seven says, God takes this treasure, the glory of knowing his son, and he puts it in a jar of clay. Do you see that in verse seven? We have this treasure in jars of clay. In the ancient Near East, uh, you've probably seen some of the relics that show up. They had these common little jars that they would make out of mud. The potter would turn them on a wheel. You've seen them. A lot of them were, you can still see shards that we've had seen in museums. They were just little jars that were made. They were, they were common. They were not expensive. They were fairly fragile. They, they broke a lot. And Paul says, God takes the power this treasure, this life of Jesus, and he puts it in a jar of clay. He's talking about us. We're the jars of clay, right? That's who we are. When I was in high school, I worked at a flowerland nursery, and uh, we had these, you've, you've seen them, those little kind of burnt orange colored clay pots. We had hundreds of them, and we would put startings of little plants in them. And so I would, I'd have to stack these things, and I'd have to be very careful, because if they tipped over, they broke. And Paul says, that's what we're like. We're like jars of clay. We're earthen vessels. Now, that's a very fitting description of us as people, because Genesis tells us we were made out of the dust, right? We, we literally are dust to dust. So to call us a jar of clay, that's pretty fitting. It's just not very flattering. It doesn't really make us seem very heroic, does it? It's pretty common. But that's true of us. We're, we're pretty ordinary and we're pretty fragile. We get broken. We get physically broken. We break down. We get emotionally broken. We get sexually broken. We get relationally broken. Paul says, God takes this treasure and he puts it in a person who's like a jar of clay. So the question is this, why would God do that? Why would he take something so extraordinary and put it in someone so ordinary like you or me? Well, verse 7 tells you, look at it. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, here it is, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. That's the reason God does it. He wants everybody to know that if anything amazing happens, it's because he's amazing, not because we're amazing. It's to show that the all-surpassing power that comes from the life of Jesus is not from us. It's from him. So God says, I want you to know that you can have the treasure, but you're not the treasure. The treasure is in you. It's my life, and it comes through even in your ordinariness. God's power is displayed in our humanity. Now, when I read that, I found that highly encouraging. In other words, you don't have to be some kind of superstar to have the treasure in you. You can just be a jar of clay. And I thought, well, I can be that. So I found that encouraging. But what Paul says next, I found surprising and a little bit um, disconcerting. Because as he goes on in verses 8 and 9, he tells us a second thing about God's power on display. Not only is God's power displayed in our humanity, but now in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, and 12, he's going to say this. God's power is displayed in our hard times. 
Not just our humanity, but our hard times. Not just our good times, our high times, but God's power shows up in our hard times. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, I'll show you. Paul, Paul goes on to say it in verse 8. Look at verse 8 now. Right after he says we have the treasure in jars of clay, he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul's talking about his own experience. You're going to read about a number of these things as you go through Acts, where Paul is like a, a clay pot that gets banged up and broken. So Paul is saying this, God's power, this, this treasure, shows up when the clay jars are getting beaten up and broken down. And I read that and I think, wait, I think someone got their wires crossed on this one. If I were writing this script, I would have written a different. I would have said, no, 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 no. God's power is displayed when he keeps the jar from getting banged up, when he protects the clay pot from getting broken. But Paul is saying the opposite. He's saying God's power is displayed when that jar of clay is getting cracked and broken. In fact, he gives us kind of four contrastive statements. Four, look at it, we said there's four of these four statements where he says, this is when God's power shows up. Go, go with me in verse 8 and I'll show you. The first one he says, God's power shows up when we are pressured but not crushed. God's power shows up when we get pressured, but not crushed. It says we are hard-pressed on every side there in verse 8. The Greek word translated hard-pressed or afflicted, it, it means to be squeezed. I, I love what Stuart Briscoe once said about this. Uh, he was trying to give a picture, a word picture of this. What it mean, what Paul is saying, he says we are pressed on every side, but not crushed. He uses an analogy, if you're a football fan, you'll get this one. He says, we are blitzed, but not sacked. You get the picture there? Here's Josh Allen standing in the pocket, and he's got four or five big burly guys on the other side. They're aggressive, and they're coming at him. And what they want is to crush him. And as he stands there, he is hard-pressed on every side. Paul says, that's the way I live life. I'm trying to serve the Lord Jesus, and it seems like there's always aggressive people who are coming at me, and I feel squeezed. I feel hard-pressed, but he says in verse 8, we're hard-pressed, but we're not crushed. And Paul says, and that's an evidence of the power of God. The fact that I could be squeezed but not crushed, that's because God's power is at, at work. So he says we're pressured, but we're not crushed. Look what he says next. Here's another evidence of God's power on display. Verse 8, we are perplexed, but not in despair. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of Paul, I don't think of a man who's perplexed. Paul always seemed to me to be the guy that knew he was on mission for Jesus. He was going for it. He knew what to do. He was large and in charge. That's how I envision it. But here Paul says about himself, we're perplexed. We're perplexed. We're confused. Maybe he's referencing what we read about in Acts 16. Do you remember the time when Paul and his team, they're trying to go on mission and they try to go to Bithynia, a place in modern-day Turkey, and it says, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't let them. Now, we don't know why. We just know that Paul thought he was supposed to go this way, but he got stopped. He got stuck. 
And so he ends up in Troas, and he's thinking, I don't even know where to go next. He was perplexed. But he says here, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. And that's an evidence of the power of God. I imagine there's time when you feel perplexed, when I feel perplexed. There was a time in, in our life when Linda and I, we were quite a bit younger. We were living on the West Coast, and we thought we were supposed to be missionaries in Brazil. We were appointed by a mission agency. We had all our funding to go. And now all we needed to do was wait for our visas to be granted by the Brazilian consulate. And we waited almost two years. And finally, when they came, they didn't all come. And then we were told we had to start the process over. And I remember thinking, Lord, we're supposed to be in Brazil and I can't get there. Brazil is not like trying to get into Saudi Arabia or Kuwait or something. Brazil is wide open, but we couldn't get there. And I was perplexed. I was confused. Paul says, it's the power of God that keeps you from going to despair when you're perplexed. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, the fact that I am that I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair, that's an evidence of the power of God. You know the name Hudson Taylor. He was a famous missionary to China. Again, a man that God used mightily. Listen to what his, one of his biographers says about Taylor. He writes this in the book, Magnificent Obsession. David Schwartz writes, in Hudson Taylor's younger days, things used to come so clearly, so quickly to him. But, Taylor said, now as I have gone on and God has used me more and more, I seem often to be like a man going, lo going along in a fog, and I do not know what to do. We would think that the, that the more mature that someone like Taylor or Paul got, the more everything would be clear, the more everything would be obvious to them. But Taylor said, as I go on and God has used me more and more, I seem to be like someone in a fog. I'm not sure what to do. Paul says, sometimes I'm perplexed. But Paul, why don't you get into despair? He'd say it's the power of God. See, God's power shows up in our hard times when we're, when we're pressured, but not crushed, when we're perplexed, but not in despair. Look at verse 9. He gives you a third one. When we are persecuted, but not abandoned. Again, as you go through the, the book of Acts, you're going to see Paul persecuted. He's chased out of more than one city, isn't he? People after him. Paul says, I've been persecuted. I've been chased after, but I'm not abandoned. I know God is still with me. How does Paul know that? It's the power of God that keeps him from despairing on that. It's the power of God that says, I'm not abandoned, even though things are not going well. He's persecuted, but not abandoned. And then look what he says in verse 9 at the end one. Here's the fourth one. We are struck down, but not destroyed. He says, we are pounded, but we're not destroyed. We're, we're getting pounded. I'm getting beat up in this thing, but I'm not destroyed. And that's the power of God. Again, as you read through the book of Acts, he gets pummeled with rocks in Lystra. He gets beaten with whips in Philippi. He gets mobbed by an angry crowd in Jerusalem. He gets shipwrecked in the Mediterranean. He gets snake bit on the, on the island of Malta, and yet he lives through it all. And if you ask Paul, how did you make it through that? You say, well, it was the power of God. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying God's power shows up not in my high times, but in my hard times. In fact, he summarizes it in verses 10 to 12. 
Verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life, that's the treasure, may be also revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul is saying, you know what my life is like? I'm a, I'm a step away from death all the time. And you know what keeps me going? It's the power of God. See, God's power shows up when ordinary people handle hard times in an extraordinary way. You have to stand back and go, it's not the clay pot that did that. It's not the jar of clay. There's something else inside that person. Anybody else would be crushed by this. Anybody else would be in despair over this. Anybody else would think God has forsaken them and abandoned them. Anyone else would be destroyed by all this. The fact that that's not happening in that jar of clay, there's something inside that jar of clay that's not just them. See, God's power can show up in the pyrotechnics, yes. God's power can show up in the scorch marks. Sometimes it's big and large, but sometimes... Paul is saying, God's power shows up, not just in my humanity, but in my hard times. See, and that's true for you as well. Sometimes when you're going through hard times, you think, where is God's power in all this? Why doesn't he just step in and make it all better? And at times he says, here, I'll show you my power. I'll keep you from being crushed. I'll keep you from despairing. I'll keep you from concluding that you've been abandoned. I'll keep you from being destroyed. And that's God's power in your life. In fact, it's interesting. When Paul prays for the Colossians, he prays that they would know the power of God in the, even in the midst of their hard times. Listen to this verse, Colossians 1.11. Paul says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You get this? May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy. Do you see what he's saying? May God give you all his power so that you can endure. May God give, all, give you his power so that you can be patient and still have joy. That's the power of God in display. God's power shows up when ordinary people handle hard times in an extraordinary way. Now, you may hear that and say, well, I need that. I want in on that. I'm going through some things that would qualify as hard times. How do I somehow get a part of this all-surpassing power in my situation? How is that going to play out for me? What does it take to really know the power of God in those times? And Paul tells you back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse, verse 13 and going to the end of the chapter. And here's the thing you're going to need here. You're saying, I need the power of God on display. I'm saying, I need it. I bet you you're saying you need it. Well, how do you get that? We've already seen that God's power shows up in our humanity. God's power shows up in our hard time. Now, here's the third thing I want you to see. Verses 13 to the end. God's power shows up as we believe. That's how you access this, through faith. God's power shows up as you believe, as you trust, as you entrust yourself to him in the midst of all it. That's when God's power comes and is able to work powerfully in you. You say, how do you know that? Well, verse 13, Paul says that. So right after he's talking about getting beat up, look what he says, verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken 
Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Paul references Psalm 116. He quotes it there. And three times in that one verse, he talks about faith. Faith. Did you see it? Look at it. You'll see it. It is written, I believed. There's number one. Therefore, I've spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, there's a second time he talks about believing or trusting. And then we also believe and therefore speak. Paul says in the midst of all this, the way that I, I, I am able to enjoy and experience and be enabled by the power of God is through my faith in him. I believe, I trust him. You say, Paul, what do you believe? In the middle of all those hard things, what exactly do you believe? Paul says, let me tell you, I believe two things. And this is what comes out in verse, the first of them is in verse 14. In the middle of your hard times, Paul, when that, when that clay pot is getting broken, what do you hang on to by faith? Paul says, let me tell you what I believe. Here's the first one. I believe that death is not final. There will be resurrection. I hang on to that. This jar, I'm, I'm one step away from death all the time. He says that in verses 10 to 12. We're constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake. I could die at any moment, he says, but you know what I believe? I believe death is not final. There will be resurrection. That's what he says. Look at verse 14. Because we know, we know this, that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Paul says, here's what I know. I believe this. The one who raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise me from the dead. Jesus, his, his human jar of clay was crucified. It was killed. But God raised him to life. And I have the life of Jesus in me. I have the treasure in me. I've, I've trusted in Jesus. And I know that when this jar of clay is finally done, when it's broken, it won't be the end. Death is not final. He will raise me to life. Paul says, I hang on to that. In the midst of what I'm going through, I believe that. Brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus, if the treasure is in you, though you face things that will ultimately lead to your death, the power of God can still give you strength to face them because you believe something. You believe that death is not final. It doesn't get the last word. Life does. Resurrection does. How do you know that? It's because the life of Jesus is in you. And the one who raised Jesus from the dead will raise you from the dead. Listen, I saw, this, I saw this lived out before my eyes in one of our neighbors in Ottawa. When we lived in Ottawa, across the street from us, were a Polish-Canadian couple named Ludwig and Eliza. They had come to Canada uh, 30, 40 years earlier. We moved in and we got to know them. And I heard their story. They had lived through World War II. They were in Poland at the time when the Nazis came in. They took Eliza's brother. He was a young man at the time. They marched him outside the city and they shot him. And on that night, Eliza's mother said, there is no God. How could there be a God? And Eliza gave up on faith. Ludwig gave up on faith. They came to Canada. Ludwig told me he hadn't prayed in 30 years. They didn't believe. But we became friends, and our church ran a program called Alpha, which is kind of an introduction to the Christian faith. And Linda had invited them, and one day they surprised us. They said, we'd like to go with you to that Alpha class. And so I remember Linda was in charge of another Bible study that night. She shuffled things to get someone else to take that, and we brought a Ludwig and Eliza, and they came to Alpha. 
and God touched their hearts. I remember the day we drove back to our, after the, the session, I drove Ludwig home. We sat in my driveway and he said to me, is this true? I said, Ludwig, it's true. And he said, is it true that when you believe in Jesus, he puts his Holy Spirit inside you to live in you? That's the treasure? And I said, it's true. He said, I've never heard this before. I said, Ludwig, would you like this? And he said, I would like this, but I need faith. And I said, well, let's do this. Why don't I pray a prayer that will just give you some words and then you can say it in your own words, but why don't you ask God to give you faith and give you that gift? He said, I'd like to do that. Now, he hasn't prayed in 30 years, he told me. So I prayed a simple prayer, and then I was quiet, and then Ludwig prayed. I will never forget his prayer. We're sitting there in the car. All of a sudden, he says, Lord, this is Ludwig. I guess he thought, you know, it's been 30 years. Maybe up in heaven, they've kind of lost track of who he is. Lord, this is Ludwig. I would like to believe. I would like to have faith. I would like to have your spirit live in me. So he prays this prayer. Now, I've been around people that have prayed a prayer like that before, but rarely have I been around anyone who knew that God answered like Ludwig knew. He started going around the neighborhood telling people, I have been born again. And after a while, I kind of said, Ludwig, you're going to have to tone it down just a bit because he was so excited about this. The, power, the treasure was in him and he knew it. And then he got ALS which is a horrific disease. It takes, it takes you away a bit at a time. He lost the use of his arms. He lost the use of his legs. But by the power of God, he never lost his faith. I remember the night I was called up to the hospital. A friend had been by to see him and said, Ludwig's not going to live through the night. If you want to see him, this would be your last chance. So I drove up to the hospital. He was in a bed. His mind was still clear, but it... ALS eventually shuts down your lungs and you can't breathe. And he was, he was on oxygen just to make it through. So I came into the room and he saw me and he smiles and he motioned for the nurse to take off the mask so he could say something. He takes off the mask and he looks at me and he says to me, I will see you again. That, my friends, is the power of God. How do, you how do you face your death and not despair? It's because you believe something. You believe that death is not final. There will be resurrection. Paul said, that's what I believe. So though I face death all the time, I'm not afraid because I know there will be resurrection. And as Paul says, as I believe that, it's like the power of God in, in, comes in my life, fills my life, keeps me going. See, God's power is displayed as we believe, as we believe that death is not final. But there's a second thing Paul says that he believes. The second thing that also allows him to enjoy the power of God. Let me show that to you. It's in verses 15 through 18. He not only believes death is not final, there will be resurrection. Get this. Here's a second thing he believes. Suffering is not wasted. There will be rewards. Suffering is not wasted. Paul says, I believe this. All that I'm going through, where I'm getting banged up, I believe it's not wasted. As Elizabeth Elliot once said, suffering is not for nothing. 
I believe it's not wasted. Look what Paul says. In fact, he tells you three ways that suffering is not wasted. Verse 15, he says, suffering is not wasted. It helps other people. My suffering helps other people. Look at verse 15. All this, all, the, all what? All that he's going through. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Paul says, all that I'm going through, God is using to bring his story, his grace to more and more people. My suffering is not being wasted, Paul says. It's leading to other people having life. Paul says, I believe that. This is not for nothing. It's not wasted. It's for the benefit of others. God sometimes allows us to get banged up because he, in the midst of us getting banged up, his life shines out of us in a way that touches other people's hearts. When Linda and I lived in California, we started a little neighborhood Bible study where we lived in the Silicon Valley. And uh, people would come to our house once a month and we had a potluck dinner and then we would discuss a chapter in the Bible. And one night when we got to John chapter three, I was so excited about John three. Linda was excited about John three. You know John three, it's Nicodemus. For God so loved the world, you must be born again. It's all that. I thought tonight's the night we get to John three. And on that day, it was like all hell broke loose. I went to, I was working at a church, I was an associate staff member, and on that day, we had a big tension among all us pastors at the church. It was, it was a terrible day. I came home early, I told Linda, she was in tears, and because of that, the, uh, the house didn't get ready, and, and of all nights, Carl and Olivia show up early for the dinner. They knock on the door, and we open up the door, and Linda's eyes are still puffy red from crying, and the vacuum cleaner is still sitting out in the middle of the living room, and the dinner's not done, and they immediately, we didn't know each other real well at this point, they immediately felt awkward, and they said, oh, we're sorry, what's going on? How do you tell people, well, we had a big fight at our church today. How do you tell people that? So we just said, it's just been a tough day. And then Linda said something at the time, we didn't even think about it. She just said, you know, on days like today, I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have Jesus. So they came in, they helped us get the house ready and we had the meal. Then we got to John three and I thought, Lord, at least we're gonna get to John three tonight. We get to John three and as we're going, we're getting to Nicodemus about God so loved the world. Their, Carl and Olivia brought their little two-year-old Maya, a cute little toddler. Maya walks out into the middle of the group where we're sitting, and she just vomits one way, and then she turns and vomits the other way. And people start heading for the exits, and they're, Carl and Olivia are mortified. They're cleaning up the, the carpet, and everyone left, and we never got through John 3. And I tell you what, we went to bed that night so defeated it felt like Satan won on every side. But we trundled on, and next, next week, next month, we did John 4. We didn't even go back to John 3. That was, a, that was a train wreck in John 3. So we tried, let's try John 4. Over the course of the months, Carl and Olivia come to faith in Jesus. And one day, many months later, I was talking to Carl. And I said, Carl, what was it that helped you guys step across the line? And I thought he was going to talk about our scintillating discussion and how that it was all led so well and all that, but he didn't. He said, do you remember that day we came to your church or your, your house and you'd had a tough day? And I said, oh yeah, I'm sorry about that day. That was a terrible day. And he goes, no, 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 no. Your wife said something that night that we never forgot. I said, what? She said, on days like today, I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have Jesus. 
And we left that night saying, I wish I knew Jesus the way those people knew Jesus. And that's, that launched them into a journey to come to know Christ in a personal way. So the very night that our little clay pot was getting smashed and broken up, God was somehow letting his power ooze out, shine out in a way that touched others. Paul is saying that. All this is for your benefit, he says in verse 15. Suffering is not wasted. I believe that God is using it for others. So he says it's good for others. He says it also glorifies God. Suffering's not wasted. It glorifies God. Verse 15 at the end. All that thanksgiving may overflow to the glory of God. So it's for others. It's for God. And then in verse 16, 17, 18, Paul says this. And here's one more thing. The suffering I'm going through is also going to bring glory for me. It's not even wasted for me. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't give up. Though outwardly we are wasting away, the jar is getting banged up, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says, here's how I look at it. I got this scale, this set of balances in my mind. And on one side, I put all of my troubles, all the things that are happening to me, all the ways I'm getting banged up. And then on the other side, I put the glory that's coming. By the way, the Hebrew word for glory means weight or weighty. And Paul says that when I compare my troubles now with the glory that's going to come, my troubles suddenly seem light and momentary, and the glory seems heavy, and it outweighs them. And Paul says, so what I do by faith, I fix my eyes on what's coming. I look ahead because what I'm going through now is temporary, but what's coming is eternal, and I believe that. And because I believe that, the power of God is unleashed in my life, and I'm able to be pressured but not crushed. I'm able to be perplexed but not in despair. I'm able to be persecuted but know that I'm not abandoned. I'm able to be pounded but not destroyed. See, the power of God is displayed in our humanity and even in our hard times, and it's displayed as we believe. Death is not final. Suffering is not wasted. So listen, do you need more of the power of God in your life right now? And you say, yes, of course I do. Then I would say, well, Paul tells you how you get it, how you experience it. You do what he did. You, with the eyes of faith, you look to God and say, God, you know how weak I am. You know how fragile I feel. But I'm fixing my eyes on you. You put the treasure in me, I, I fix my eyes on you. And I believe that death is not final. I believe that suffering is not wasted. And as I believe that, I'm trusting that you will allow your power to be lived out through a simple, ordinary clay pot like me. See, God's power is displayed when ordinary people handle hard times in an extraordinary way. But my last thing I have to tell you is this only, only is available to you if you have the treasure in you. You got to have the life of Jesus in you or none of this works because you're just a jar of clay. But you don't have to just be a jar of clay. You can, have the, you can have the life of Jesus in you. That's what we call becoming a Christian. 
See, a Christian is not someone who, who gets their jar and makes it all powerful and impressive and then puts it out for other people. A Christian is somebody who says, I got nothing. I need you, God, and if you sent your son Jesus to die for me, then I give you my life. I give you my faith. I trust in his death on my behalf. And when you do that, God puts his spirit like he did for Ludwig. And you have the treasure inside you. And then, and then, that treasure, the power, all-surpassing power of God can come out through you. So if you've never trusted in Jesus today, if you, if you know you're a clay pot that needs in, you need to do what my neighbor Ludwig did. You need to say, Lord, this is Steve. Lord, this is Judy. I want to have faith. I want to believe. Help me. I put my faith in your son. And if you do that, like Ludwig did, then God puts his treasure in you. And his all-surpassing power is now available to you, not just in your high times, but especially in your hard times. Let's pray together, and then Pastor Allen's going to come and lead us to the Lord's table. Father, I do ask that today you would help each and every one of us. There's probably not a single person in this room that doesn't feel in some ways squeezed and pressured, pounded. Lord, we all have that. We all need you. I pray that the treasure of Jesus would be so alive in us that his life shines through us for the good of others, the glory of God, and even for our eternal good. And if anyone has not yet come to Jesus, may they pray like Ludwig did, and may you have them today be a day when they are born again forever. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.